Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you are with us today as we talk financial matters and... Um Help you make some sense of what's going on in the financial world. Actually, the short-term financial world is going to move its own course. What's going to relate to your success or not is the f- plans that you put in place today and that you main- the plans that you maintain in spite of what goes on in the financial world. You mean Bitcoin <clears throat> isn't an answer? Bitcoin is not a long-term financial answer? <laughs> the Security Exchange Commission chairman said he didn't think it did exist long-term. Well, you saw what China did. What's interesting is Ecuador a couple of weeks ago comes out and says now that it's going to be their national currency, whatever that means, the huge economy of Ecuador doing so great. That's why no one could, st- they're all leaving, heading north. Um, well, Ecuador's national currency for years has been the U.S. dollar. I'm sorry, El Salvador. Okay. Not Ecuador. El Salvador. Okay. Excuse me. I misspoke. Yeah, I, was, Ecuador's, I was wondering because I did. El Salvador. I miss, I miss, well, El Salvador, who cares? <laughs> That's my point. Okay. The only reason they chose Bitcoin is because it's less volatile than their own currency. <laughs> which is really, which is funny. It's, it, it's kind of sad, really. It's really sad. It's kind of sad that that company, the country, is they, they, and they did this right when Bitcoin's like fifty thousand dollars a coin, and then China comes out and says, "Not going to recognize it. We're not going to allow our people to own it." It's interesting. So Bitcoin is not an answer. Your meme stock is not an answer. Mm. Could be. <laughs> Your AMC. Was it yeah. AMC? America? We're going we're to spend a little extra time on that. We're going to take some calls, but we're also going to spend a little extra time on the program today talking about some of the, uh, well, first of all, volatility in the market and what that might mean. We're going to spend a little time talking about some of these meme stocks, Robinhood, um, yeah, I'd like to dig into Robinhood and <laughs> and order flow and how they make money. Yeah, so we're gonna we'll spend a we'll spend a good chunk of the second part of our program today ducking kind of through some of those things because it's been it's been a it's it's a it is the craziest year from the financial markets. You it look is. at the supply chain constraints and how is it that these yep and I mean uh, I you drive by the car lots they're empty empty. I hear ads wanting to buy used cars. I want to buy your used car. The used car salesman actually has a a, a, a position in life now that they've only dreamed of. <laughs> not teased anymore. Oh, <laughs> you're in used car sales. Well, that's very interesting. You're sitting in the fabled catbird seat. <laughs> So no longer do you have to make up some other job title at Friday night cocktail hour. It's, oh, I'm, I'm in used cars. <laughs> That's funny. It is crazy times. Anyway, to join the program, love to take your call uh, to be part of the program. 833-99-WORTH is the number. That's 833-99-WORTH. Uh, numerically, it's 833 Six seven eight four, and um, we'll take your your call, and we'll start here in Kansas City talking to Owen. Owen, you're with Allworth Money Matters. Hi, Pat. Hi, Scott. Hi, Thanks Owen. For letting me uh, call in. You Thank bet. you. Hey, real quick, quick accolade to you guys. My guy retired that I used to listen to back in 2017, and I stumbled across you guys just a couple of years ago, and it's nice to have a. A trusted voice when it comes to personal finance. Thank you. Guys you. Great. Was that Bob Brinker? It was. Yeah, he yeah. was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when anyway, is he retired? Retired? Is he not? I don't I haven't followed him in the last number of years. So he did a uh, market timer yeah. magazine yeah. that would follow. He that still comes out, but as far as I know, he's not doing any radio or any public stuff. Yeah. As far as I know, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah. So it was great to find you guys. Um, so I'll give you a little background here. I'm 56, wife's 57. Uh, I got a son, a second year in college, and I got a daughter that's in ninth grade. They call that high school for some reason, but it's 
anyways. Um, <laughs> ninth grade. <laughs> and uh, here's my question. Uh, I've got a slug of money in an IRA, and I thought, well, Jesus, my wife and I step off a curb, get hit by a bus. These two would inherit the IRA, and as of, what, January 1, 2020, that's now a 10-year uh, spend down yep. that you're required to do, correct? So I'm thinking, gosh, how do I how do I plan for that? Uh, I don't know if I can do Roth conversions to make it all go away, or do I do a GRAT, or do I just get a life insurance policy and and hopefully have a, enough in the policy to cover the majority of the taxes for them to convert it into yeah. their own IRA? And and the reality the reality is. Um yeah, the, the statistical chance of both you and your wife dying in the next decade are <laughs> zero, right? I mean, correct. statistically, yeah, correct. So, so uh, and how it, much? How much is in your IRA ballpark? Uh, Four million. Uh, you do have a slug of money in your. Good for you. Um, so the things that you mentioned, like putting the money in so they can convert to a Roth, they can't convert to a Roth. A grad. I met. I met me. Trying oh, yeah. to convert in time. Oh, yeah. What's your income? Three eighty-four. Yeah, well, their income's not going to be three eighty-four, at least not for decades, right? Yeah. So th- right. that that th- <laughs> so we're going to scratch that one as a non-starter. <laughs> Correct. I mean, let's say you died. Let's say both you and your wife died today, right? So now yeah. we're talking two million dollars each over ten yeah. years. I'm doing simple math. We'll have some growth. Let's call it two hundred thousand a year of uh, having to come out of this. A little more than that, but right. Um, right. that's a lower tax bracket than you're in right now. Correct. So that's so why your bet from a purely financial standpoint of reducing taxes on this, your best bet would be to die. Yeah. Which isn't <laughs> not a good option. Which is, <laughs> we're just going to, we're going to check that off as a non-starter. <laughs> right. Okay. I'll so then all options. Too. Then you talked about insurance, right? You're not, you're not typically you'd buy insurance to actually replace um, taxes, to- an income or a tax, but this is underneath. The, there's no estate tax on this. Unless, what's your overall estate between you and your your wife? At everything, uh, eight. Okay, eight yeah. So even if we have the t- the proposed changes um, in Congress, that you're still going to be, you'll be under that limit. A granted annuity trust, which you said to grat. Um, right. I don't think you I don't can think give you money can do from it with an IRA. IRA in a grat. Um. The only, the only money he can transfer directly would be uh, his required minimum distribution directly to a charity at age 72. So that does. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't work. work. That wouldn't work. work. I think oh, you okay. shouldn't worry about it. Okay. That's what I, think I think a bigger worry is should something happen to you and your wife, when do the kids get the dollars? So, what are the stipulations around that? So I assume your trust actually is named the beneficiary of the IRA, and there's instructions in the trust as to how the dollars should be distributed out of the IRA and into the trust on that, behalf of the children. Correct, but if they're older than 18, they doesn't, are the beneficiary no, of the trust. Doesn't doesn't matter. That's true. I right? guess it would be. So, I mean, yeah, like for myself, right. I've got things set up in such a manner that – should my wife and I die, I've got four kids ages from 11 through 25. I wouldn't want any of them to have the money right away, right? And so right. I've got it structured in such a way that money goes into a trust. They're not listed as a beneficiary on my IRAs. On the tr- my wife's Your wife pr- is the primary. primary. And my trust is contingent. Correct. And then Correct. it creates a little more complexity. But then I don't want the kids to get all this money on their 18th birthday or the 25-year-old immediately. And I've got it Correct. set up such a manner so that I've got an independent trustee for until they're 45. That would be me. That would be you. And if it's not you, it's another one of <laughs> another financial advisor that I know closely. <laughs> but um, that way, there's there's someone who can kind of help these dollars be used for good and not used for for. Yeah, you don't. Want, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. I think we've all seen situations of people have inherited a bunch of money or win the lottery or whatever it is, sudden wealth, and they tend to make poor choices. Oh, I had a friend that uh, he, when he was eighteen, he got he received a large settlement because he lost an eye in a BB gun accident, and between the time he turned eighteen and the time we ran out of money twenty, when I say we. <laughs> <laughs> it was him and all of our friends. <laughs> we, he was very popular. We, we had, haven't talked to him since, have we, you? No. <laughs> we had a blast. 
I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he was great to hang out with. <laughs> so the, the thing that you really need to focus on is the trust. Uh, and you want to name your wife as the primary beneficiary in the IRA, and the trust is the contingent. Yeah, and if at some point in time you find yourself without as much in, in the way of taxable income, then maybe look at at um, some conversion. But not I now. wouldn't buy. I would not. I wouldn't convert now at your high tax. I wouldn't rate. buy a life insurance, and person. I wouldn't buy a life insurance for this particular purpose. There's a lot, who knows what's going to happen between now and the the time. Both you and your wife are going to pass away. So, does your trust stipulate things like we just spoke of? It 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 does. Now that you guys bring it to my attention, and I was, I guess I was just trying to find a shortcut to that to that to those guys. But you're right. I guess that that trust umbrella uh, covers them in that incident. I did think about doing the Roth conversion, so I'll be selling my business next year, and then I'll have a ten-year payout. But that's probably still going to be too high to even mess with any and Roth did conversions. Did you, when you said the eight million, did you include the value of your business in that? I did. I did. Okay. So, and did you, out of curiosity, did you accumulate this four million in just four hundred one k assets, or did you have a other kind of pension plan as a like small a, business owner, like a profit sharing? Uh, no, I haven't put a penny in since I started my own business. So I, I. Right after high school, I went in with a company, and I'd been with that company for 28 years. And I did a 401k with those guys. And when I left to start my own business eight years ago, I opened up a self-directed IRA to roll those funds. I was going to do a Roth, but I thought, man, I haven't got any offset, and that'll be a big slug of taxes I got to, you know, cover. So I just stubbed it into an IRA eight years ago, and really the majority of that money shown up over the past eight or nine years. Good for you. Yep. Good for yeah. you. Good for you. Yeah. Um, I would recommend that you pull out the your uh, living trust and read uh, read it again to see how those dollars and how you feel about it. I myself okay. have four children, much like Scott Hansen. And my sure. wife and I go through this practice about every five years, and we have changed the distributions as my children have aged, <laughs> and either you watch them mature or lack of maturity. Um, but fortunately, all four of mine have matured since since uh, we put the trust sure. in place. And so we okay. changed the, the, the payouts and the trust. Hopefully, it never comes to that. Um, sure. You know, hopefully by the time I pass away and my wife passes away, the kids will be, you know, old and gray, but who knows, right? Can I ask you a really nut, quick nuts and bolts question any, on a on a Roth? Any question you'd like. Okay, so if I had a traditional IRA and I was able to convert to a Roth, are am I selling those assets, letting it settle, moving it to a Roth, and rebuying, or am I moving shares from? You can an move IRA? shares. You can without yeah. selling anything. It's just being relabeled, correct? Yeah, but but the reality is. Um, in most accounts, it doesn't cost anything to buy or sell. So the idea of moving shares actually brings it through a a, a, a hurdle that I don't know. What do you what, mean? What a hurdle is it? You just transfer you have to transfer some, the shares. Why is that any more work than transferring a, a dollar amount? It's just a. I guess it was a, an all or nothing. It's zeros and ones in a ledger of some sort. If it's all or nothing. Either way. You have 200 shares of IBM no, no, and you transfer 100, 100 and, and then 100 in cash. Whatever. It doesn't matter. You, you can. The, 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 the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Whether you should or not, Scott and I will disagree <laughs> on. <laughs> but you could, you could transfer shares of a privately held business. Most certainly. And, Although and you, the, with changes in Congress, that might, if some of this legislation goes through, that might not be the case. I would rather transfer the shares you should, as volatile as this market is. Okay. Then transfer the shares. Yeah. Okay, I just didn't know if that was a thing. That or if you certainly is a thing. Sell the asset and then stick it in another bucket and relabel it. Okay. Oh, and you've done okay. you've done really well with your financial planning here, and um, the that tax the the challenge with these retirement accounts that tax is going to be paid one day. The way it is now, you'd be better off with your heirs paying taxes. And who knows? By the time you pass on, you might have grandkids. That you might list for a portion, you might have, you, or you can True. set up, you can set up a separate right. trust just for your retirement accounts that have some additional beneficiaries on that to be able to spread that the taxation. Um, so you've got some some other flexibility. You'll have more flexibility as time goes on. There'll also be some different changes in the tax law, but with income at the, is the highest it is right now, we would certainly not recommend any sort of Roth conversion. But yep. appreciate the call. Let's continue with calls uh, to be part of Allworth's Money Matters. 
worth will get you onto our program. And we are talking with Terry. Terry, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi, how are you? Hi, Terry. Hi. How can we help? Um, well, I would like some advice. Um, I have a Roth. Um, I'm 61 years old. I no longer I don't work, and uh, my husband is 61 also, and uh, is still working and plans on working for the next five to seven years. I have a small Roth, about 85,000, and so my thoughts were. Um, Next year is our 40th anniversary, and, you know, we want to go to Europe and start taking some really nice trips. And uh, Good for you. I thought, while well, he's still working, you know, cash out my Roth and use that to travel on for the next three to five years and won't affect our income. Um, just looking for some advice. As a general rule of thumb, I like to say the Roth dollars are the last dollars we spend. But, okay. but having said that, um, you, you save these dollars for a particular purpose. I love the concept of you guys are in your early 60s. Like, we never know what tomorrow brings. Let's plan. Right. This is something that's important to us, something we'd like to do, something we'd find fulfilling. Let's do this. I, I think that that's prudent. That's wise. So uh, what what else do you have as far as financial assets? Well, my husband has a 401, um, a little bit over 800000 and do you have any money um, in a brokerage account, any mutual funds or stocks you've owned for a number of years or something like savings no. accounts? Savings, yes. How much do you have about in 20, savings? About 20000 but yeah. About twenty. Is your house paid for? Almost. I have a second mortgage and it's less than 20000 And you're 61. Yes. When will that house be paid off? In about two years. Yeah, but don't wait two years. Yeah, just take the money out of okay. savings right now and pay it off. It's so low. I know, but you're, the money you're earning in the bank is zero. I mean, don't ta- yeah. don't wait two years to travel. Don't. <laughs> I, I said don't wait two years to pay off the house. That's for the clarity. Okay. Um, I'd pay it off as soon as I possibly can. What's the family income mm-hmm. right now? Uh, about one hundred and sixty-five to one hundred and eighty, depending. Okay. Bonus. And, and how much longer is he going to work? He plant. He's definitely working at least five more years. And how much do you make? She doesn't work. I don't. I uh, babysit my grandkids. Um, I was always a part-time worker. I uh, didn't really uh, get into the four. I did not get into a four hundred one k. So about fifteen years ago, our financial advisor advised me to open up the Roth. So. And well, I th- it's great you've got the money saved in, in the Roth. What what was your husband's income five years ago? Has it always been kind of in this level? Uh, yes, yes. And w- will yeah. he have any sort of pension at retirement? He do- he has two uh, pensions from a former uh, buy-off. He was with the company for 41 years, and so it's been sold. So he's got two small pensions. What What's his earned income? Does he make What's he make at his, new, his job now? One sixty-five. Okay. Okay. And then you've got these other pensions. So why can't you Correct. fund your European vacations out of your current income? I it's can, just... but I was just wondering, <laughs> why not spend it? <laughs> oh no, 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 no. In fact, <laughs> I would go exactly. I, I have a different view of Scott Hansen. Uh, I, I think you need some financial planning. You're. You're going to have a hard time replacing your husband's yes, income. I totally agree with that. So you're not okay. disagreeing with me. I mean, <laughs> that's my concern. That's why I don't want these. Yeah, the, the Roth retire- dollars. Retirement dollars should be safe for retirement. Mm-hmm. Right now, right at the if your if your income was much was a lot less, then it'd be like maybe it'd be hard to pull off the 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 vacation. But like I don't know why if your home's almost paid off, you only owe twenty grand. Why you can't afford to pay for your travel out of your income. Right. You That's should be able to. Yes. You right. might be. not be staying at the Ritz Carlton, but you won't be, you won't be uh, sleeping in the van down by the river either. <laughs> That's right. You can have right. very fine accommodation. Right. right. So um, yeah. you should not use the Roth IRA money. You shouldn't use any IRA money, 
you should use none of that. You should actually increase your contributions towards your retirement plans between now and the five years that your husband plans on retiring. Yeah, I, I do put in my uh, maximum. I understand. You should increase it above the maximum. The maximum is I what can? is set by, well, you can save it outside of an IRA. Okay. You're allowed to save money outside of an IRA. Yeah, I think the most important thing, Terry, if I were mm-hmm. you, if you were my sister, I'd say, Terry, you and your husband should sit down with a financial advisor and do a retirement plan to make sure that your that retirement's is a possibility for you here. If you were my sister-in-law mm-hmm. and brother-in-law, I would pay for that financial plan. You know why? Okay. Cuz you own a financial advisory firm and it'd be easy for you to do. And that's what I recommended to them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 did they did the financial plan, but they didn't require me to pay for it. But I feel so strongly about it that where you're at in your situation, you're five years away from retirement. You've got a couple goals that you want to cover between now and then in terms of traveling. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can do that, but you're going to have to have a plan, right? And we don't necessarily That's mean. That's what I needed. I needed some advice. So everybody yeah. I asked, they said, "Go for it." Yes, <laughs> yes. And you can go. You, you can afford to go to Europe, but you you shouldn't neglect. Don't use the Roth IRA, and you shouldn't neglect doing some financial plan. You should be saving more money than the maximum that the four hundred one k allows. And okay. you say, "Well, how could you do that?" It's perfectly okay to save money in an after tax basis. But the most important thing at this point is having a plan, so you you see. Like, if you don't do anything, here's what that means five or six years out when your husband quit working. And if you mm-hmm. do these three steps, here's what that can mean to you. And then you can make the choice at that point, And then you could have some confidence and feel fine about going on the European vacation and realizing why staying at the Best Western is, is, is going to yield a much better retirement for you down the road than staying at the Ritz-Carlton. Not that you'd... You know what I mean? But, like, yeah. if you have the money to stay at the Ritz-Carlton, fine, stay at the Ritz-Carlton. But if you... Having having the right kind of spending plan for your vacation, I think, is going to be determined by your retirement plan. Mm-hmm. All righty. Okay. All right. Appreciate All right, the call. Thank w- you. Wish you well. And Pat, I'll never forget when I right in the early my first year or two in the business, uh, introduced to this couple. Um, it was second marriage because he had been widowed. And he was talking about he and his wife. He was an executive at Chevron or something like that. I think Chevron. He he and his wife had always talked about traveling. They want to travel together. Want to travel together. And it was always well. Let's wait till next year. Let's wait till next year. And so he finally retires. And their very first trip, they're flying from here to New York, and they're going to take the next one. And she gets sick on the flight. Something comes down with something. Never never left the United States. Ended up. Passing away four months later. Oh, how sad! And I'm bringing this up just because the the financial planning—it's a bit of a balance, right? Because we've all experienced. This is just my first experience in something like this, but we've all, as financial advisors, we see this time and time again, all the time. None of us gets out of here alive. At some point in time, we're going to die. We all hope we're going to live to past a normal life expectancy, but the reality is that doesn't always happen. We have a health issue comes up. We can't travel. One of us passes away or whatever. So my point is that financial planning, it's really the balance of what are those things that are important to us that we'd like to do during our life? And can we fit those in today without sacrificing our financial security tomorrow? And your point, it was well taken, is it doesn't have to be, it could be Europe, but it doesn't have to be at the... The, the the nicest hotel in Paris. It can be at a mid or low priced hotel in Paris, well, and you still get to see Paris. And the benefit of the financial planning is you can see what does that cost. What does that mean to me? What's the difference? Like, how's that going to impact my life? Because sometimes it's just money in an account. Like, what's that mean? Like, I've got all these dollars I've saved in my four hundred one k. I've got a million dollars in my four hundred one k. What does that mean? That seems like a lot. Is that of money. a lot? Is that a lot of money or a little bit of money? Well, you do the kind of planning and saying, well. If you want to you know, live high on the hog every week, it's not going to last that long. If you, so, but, but doing the planning, you can see what the, co- the true cost is. What's that going to mean in your income in the future? What's that going to mean of any sort of inheritance you want to leave your kids or whatever those other things that are important to you in your life? Exactly. That was my... What I like, the best part of what you just said was the, the, the term you used, high on the hog. So I don't even know what that means. You know what it means? No. 
uh, it means that the uh, better the cut of the meat or higher up on the hog, the closer to the hoof, the worse uh, the cut of meat historically has been. So if you worked for the landowner, you would not get the select cuts of meat off the pig higher on the hog, lower on the hog. Is it the same way with a cow? Like, what are the best cuts of beef? I remember being at a Brazilian steakhouse where they had, like, all the different pictures of where the cow is. And they bring the lower portion, the cheaper ones first. They try to get you filled up on that. And oh, then they bring... you, you figured out their scam. Oh, they first had the salad bar. Massive. <laughs> We're not eating any of that. <laughs> give, me the, give me the... I came in here for cholesterol. I'm getting I'm cholesterol. I'm high on the hog here. Anyway. High of, I don't know, I don't know what it is to be for not, but I know that's where anyway. the term... If, I, if you know, please don't contact us. <laughs> oh, no, we, I really don't care. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> We're can, just trying to kill... I can go to Brazilian Steakhouse tonight, and I could see they'll have the little picture in front of me, and I could point to the area of the cow... Give me that cut, please, and they'll bring it out on a yeah. thing and go. Cut in front we're of just me. trying to kill. And I'll be so stuffed the rest of the night. And I, anyway. <laughs> when was the last time you went to a Brazilian steakhouse? It's been years because <laughs> I ate too much last time. Uh, this is all worth money matters. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. We thought we'd spend the second half of this program um, talking about just some of the latest things in the financial world. Talk about the housing market, talk about stock market, options, interest rates, Robin Hood. Etc., and just have some open discussion on this because it is. Um, I mean, the Fed lowered interest rates. If you think back, which time? Okay, <laughs> so they were lowered in the financial crisis, and we did this quantitative easing where the the Fed was going out and buying bonds to keep interest rates low. We began that in the in the financial crisis of two thousand. When did this seven. start? Okay. I don't know when we started. I think we started doing the buying in 2000. It was, yeah, 2008, 2009. I think we started doing the buying in 2009. That might have been the turning point. But, um, but we never quite got, never, never, never eased up. Yeah, never got rid of the balance sheet, the stuff that they crammed yeah, in yeah. there. And then when COVID started, if we think back, it wasn't that long ago when the markets were falling, would we see the S&P fall over 30%? In a relatively short period yeah, of time. just a few weeks. I yeah. mean, it was a, if you think... If you think back, it was pretty quick how the decline was. And, it, and the recovery so was so fast. In some ways, Pat, I think it set false expectations. Because usually these the average bear market, if you go back to 1945 or whatnot, last study I looked at, the average bear market lasts nine months. So you have nine months of declines. Oh. Not everyday declines, but... And what defines a bear market? A, a decline of 20% or more. We've from, had like 12 from the or 13 of them since World War II. From the top. Yes. They tend to last a long time. And it's not... The, the short-term things are kind of easy to live through because it's you over You barely before. notice them. You, you, you don't get, have time to emotionally absorb the loss. Yeah, you're getting sick loss. about it. You're talking to your spouse, your friends about it or whatever. But, but the next thing you know, it, last year, it like popped back up. Normally not like that. And if you think back to the downturn we had after the dot-com bubble, we had, it went from March of 2000 to November of, of 2002. It dragged on. Two and, and a on, half years, like on, 31 months, something like that. It just on. kept going on. It, it was very painful. Because after a while, you're thinking this is never going to end. So they but, lower interest rates, and then they eased long-term interest rates, which had never been done before the financial crisis, and then they use the playbook even more so. Well, every time they started re-tapering or selling back bonds in the markets, there was a little bit of an uproar from Wall Street. Wall Street loves cheap, cheap money. Of course they do. Right? For two reasons. One, it makes their, uh, their asset class look more attractive. And two, companies that you buy stocks in borrow money as well. It's called leverage and they, they borrow money as well. If the cost of borrowing comes down, then they can actually drive more profits. There's a spread there. 
And the lower the rates, the more things get driven up in value. And the one easy way to see that is on uh, interest rates with mortgages. So <clears throat> the other day, I just was for the heck of it. I started running some numbers <clears throat> on my uh, HP 12C calculator that... Because you grew up in the uh, in the eighties. <laughs> Actually, I use the app on my uh, my phone now. But, but they still... have the old uh, the old I, uh, HP. I've got one in my office here. I've got one at home too. I know, but you can get the the apps on the phones that actually mimic the. Uh, That's calculator. what I use. Oh, you do the thirty year old calculator. Correct. Maybe more than thirty years, yeah. but it's That's a little right. backwards. Works. It works perfect for me. So. The calculator itself doesn't determine the net present value. The calculation does. Okay, but without the cal. <laughs> I don't remember how to use the formulas anymore. Okay. I had I studied finance, and when I this was in the, the '80s, I I chose not to use a financial calculator. Although we had financial calculators back then, uh, the abacus. No, it was a. Uh, um, I chose to memorize all the formulas. I wanted to be able to actually do the math. Yeah, and so I memorized all the formulas. And it's like ten years later. I, for whatever reason, I had an old finance book, and I pull it out, and I look at this formula. Like what the heck is that? <laughs> what is that big backwards e? It's funny how if you don't use something, you don't use I, it. I had no idea how to like. It was Greek to me at that time, and now I just use my financial calculator. But my point is this: on interest rates and housing. So a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage at an eight percent interest rate, which wasn't that many years ago, your payment was twenty nine hundred bucks a month and some change. That same four hundred thousand. That's mortgage, a thirty-year fixed rate at eight percent. That's right. That same four hundred thousand at four percent, nineteen hundred a month. Today rates are what about two and a half percent? Yep, sub three. About sixteen hundred a month. No wonder. So that twenty. So twenty-five years ago, rates were eight percent. That twenty-nine hundred dollars a month at four hundred thousand was at eight percent. That would pay off a $400,000 mortgage at 30 years. That same payment today will fund a $740,000 mortgage. Almost double. Which is what has happened. Which is what has driven asset prices in a residential. And, by the way, everything else. Some commercial real estate. And equities. And. Because <laughs> money's so cheap. And you can see how the debt service... If you're willing to pay X dollars, if you're a company willing to fund X dollars uh, a month for debt service and suddenly interest rates get cheaper and cheaper, you're like, heck. Yeah, that's why you never hear about variable uh, rate mortgages anymore because the difference between a long-term interest It'd rate and short-term interest take a variable, rate, right? If, matter of fact, if you have a variable rate mortgage, go refinance that today. If you have a variable rate mortgage, where have you been for the last 10 years? You shouldn't have a variable rate mortgage. You should have gotten rid of it long, long, long time ago. People probably have. But that's yeah, what's right. that's what's driving the stock market. I mean, the, the housing market. And then, of course, short term, it's been. So what happens when interest rates go up? Well, who knows? Well, we would expect. You would expect. And there is the conundrum. You would expect. So this. now we see now we see inflation, which was transitory, and now the transitory is going to last a little longer. I never heard the term transitory. Transitory is going to last a little longer than we had expected. Don't worry, this is short term. Once the supply chain works its way through, well, this is what fine. we're hearing from the Federal Reserve. That's right about uh, about inflation. Because typically, what the Federal Reserve needs to do when there's inflation is they raise interest rates to cool things off a bit. To slow down the economy. Because there's a fine line between deflation and inflation. That's right. Right? And you want it to be somewhere in the sub 3%. You'd prefer a 2% inflation. You don't want zero inflation. You don't certainly want negative or deflation. But you don't want 6 or 7% inflation either. So they're in this challenge now. Well, if we slow down our bond purchasing too quickly or quit buying them at all or start selling off some of our inventory or if we raise interest rates, our short-term interest rates, the things that we can control, what's this going to do 
It's got, do you not? To the overall economy and to asset prices. Do you not think that the Federal Reserve has actually moved away from what used to be controlling the economy now to controlling asset prices over the last 20 years? Didn't they just let the asset prices land where they would? They used to. And worry about the economy? Isn't that what the Federal Reserve was designed to do is to help regulate? I I mean, I I, have you paid attention to how far off they've, they've, Moved from some of those issues? Oh, 100%. Now there's climate issues, that right? DEI, all that. The Federal a, Reserve. DEI. Diversity, equity, inclusion. Oh, I, yeah, I saw that, Pat. You should know that. Well, I know what. Come on. <laughs> okay. Where are you? <laughs> okay. It's 2021, for crying out loud. <laughs> okay, diversity. It, I get them mixed up. Okay. ESG, impact <laughs> investing. <laughs> right. Whatever, whatever, whatever. You got to remember, I I live my 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 daughter who is, um, she's a oh here it is. Anytime there's a de- diversity equity, we all try to also the white guys try to find. Oh no, <laughs> not me because <laughs> I got a kid. <laughs> I have a kid. No, no, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say she accuses me of this sort of stuff all the oh, time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, she teaches at inner city school. Can you she say does. inner city? I don't know. It's not inner city. It's uh, okay. Then not. it's not inner city, but it is in a definitely uh, economically challenged, challenged economically, area. Economically, yeah. Yeah, economically uh, challenged, job challenged, food challenged, crime challenged, yeah. uh, educationally high challenged, poverty. high poverty area. But when I had kind of conversations, and she's a little liberal too. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. I mean, statistically, it was going to happen. I had four kids, <laughs> so but she challenges me all the time on on those sort of statements, which is like you can't don't think like that. And she's probably right. She's probably right. But so what was it? Okay. DEI. <laughs> Forget about that because <laughs> okay. right now we're getting chart an area that we don't want to go in this program. But the the Federal Reserve they have many mandates now. Their charter has changed. There's no question about it. And so it's a, we've seen volatility return to the stock market, particularly the month of, of September. It's like what felt like this nice, slow, steady increase this in 2021. Suddenly we've got some volatility. And who knows where we'll finish the year. But I welcome the volatility. Did you not? Of course I do. Right? I'd like to see it. This might sound strange. I'd like to see a 20% decline in the stock market. At least for a period of time. And why would you say that being an investment advisor? Because investments are based not just on the investment, but the investor as well. And when people get complacent and they don't see the risk that's in their portfolio, they oftentimes will take on more risk without understanding the risk that they're taking. And then when the downturn occurs, they're surprised by it and they make they make reactions based upon their emotions. And they took what would have been a temporary decline and made a permanent destruction in their, in their retirement savings as a result. Because they didn't understand the risk to begin with, because there wasn't a shock in the market and how the financial markets work. The longer reminded we... them that there oh, is yeah. risk. Oh yeah. This does go down. Yes. There is risk. There is risk. And that's the challenge. I think when you go too long without having a downturn, but I find it amazing. I think most of us are, per, per, no one would have guessed at the start of the pandemic that the stock market would be up crazy. 30 some odd percent from beforehand. Right. It's just crazy. <laughs> Just crazy. And now, when you look at some of the things that are, you look at the supply chain imbalances, the shipping containers off the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, where it's multiple issues, right? So this, when you put everything on pause, send everyone unemployment checks and stuff, now they don't have the truck drivers that they need, the the, the rules of how many hours someone can drive means that they may not have enough time to bring an empty uh, truck back to get another container box. I mean, it's just, it, con, con, it just compounds on itself. And then when we look at parts of the world, China's got areas where they've shut down the factories because of COVID. And then, I don't know if you've been following some of the energy crisis that 
China's in, and Europe. On oh, Europe, absolutely. Uh, natural gas prices are up, what, four or five fold from where they were a year ago? Just because due to supply chain disruptions. That and and they've all these uh, shut down all the coal plants, going to rely on wind and solar, and suddenly the wind doesn't come for a while, and then you're trying to buy into buying natural gas on the spot market coal <laughs> dirty coal from someone to it's just amazing and and yet the um the market goes and goes and goes yeah it's bizarre but it's, i i quite frankly i think a large part of it is actually just uh is due to the fact that there's so much cash washing around for the average consumer and investing i mean <clears throat> They're investing some of it. The, the amount of money going to venture capital, all time high. The amount of money going into private equity. Well, but I'm going to, I think one of the reasons that that's happening is because the, the private equity and venture capital don't have the same regulations that you do on a publicly traded stock. So companies aren't going public anymore. So companies don't go public anymore. I mean, relatively. Yeah. I have a friend that took a company public. Um, if it was 20 years ago, Allworth would be a yeah. publicly traded company. Yeah, good chance We were that. that cap. 25 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Whatever yeah. the Dodd, not the Dodd-Frank was the precursor to that one. Anyway, Sarbanes-Oxley. Yes. And so now there's different ways to raise assets, capital, in the marketplace. SPACs. Okay. <laughs> That's acquisition companies. <laughs> My favorite. My favorite. The ripoff of the the year is the SPAC. Not that not that all SPACs are bad. That is correct. A, a special acquisition company. It's essentially a financial tool that people have been using. Where they, they go out and raise money without telling you what they're going to do with it, and then they say, "Trust me." We're going to go get something really, really good. Just give us this money. Just give us this money. And then they go out and acquire the companies. But the reality is, if you look at, and these are relatively, well, they've been around for years. They just haven't been popular. They've been around for years. And it is a methodology in order to go around a regulations right. on so, how to raise capital. To go public. Which is very similar to what we just talked about private equity and venture capital. It's because that is a different means of companies to get to a capital market that doesn't require as much regulation. And the special purpose acquisition company does exactly the same thing. So the, the way they're set up, they go out and they, get, they, they raise money. They raise tens of millions of dollars. Then they go out and find something to buy, right? They'll go out and find something to buy, typically a private company, sometimes a public company, but typically a private company. They'll go out and buy this uh, private company, fold it in. Now it's part of this publicly traded SPAC. But there's some challenges with that. One, I don't know if you paid attention to this, Pat, the, the ones that um, there are some that they're, they're trading for less than the original investors and it allows the investors to pull their money back out. When you say the original investor, less than the the sponsors, someone puts it, it's valued at ten bucks a share. Let's say yes, you put in you put in a bunch of money. Suddenly, it's trading for less than ten bucks a share. As an investor, you have the option to get your ten bucks back. I have, I wasn't aware of that. Now, in in reality, it shouldn't operate this way. When you've got a publicly traded company and there's the cash sitting there, yeah, you shouldn't have first right at. But that. that's it's not a loan. But there's some options. So some of the Trading that's been going on in the options market, sometimes I've pushed some of these stock, the prices down of these SPACs to where someone, as an investor, is saying, I don't know what the future holds, but uh, I'm not quite that confident in these people anymore. I put in $100,000. I have an opportunity to get $990,000 back today. Maybe I'll just take my take my original deposit back. Out. Yes, easy enough. So we're seeing that on some of them. And they're Which starting depresses to implode. the share prices of everyone else left behind. Starting um, but then, then we're also on the other end, we see things like this headline. I thought Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio backed Polster valued at $20 billion in a SPAC deal. He was excellent in Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't think that was him, was he? I don't know. He was, uh, am I wrong? Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> he was in, uh, Titanic. 
I got, I got, my, I got my C He's movie. a great actor. I, I got my C movies. The movies I don't about know. the C. I don't know what makes so. him a great business person, but like, I don't know many people would hire me for acting. Wasn't he in Catch Me If You Can? All right. Okay, then. We gotta, <laughs> maybe it is worth $20 million. <laughs> He was fantastic in, in that movie. Music, yeah. when, he, when he portrayed someone that was pulling scams? I don't think I saw that. <laughs> when he was a pilot, he dressed as a pilot, went around writing bad checks all over the Oh, I the never US. did see that. Oh, it was an excellent movie. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe I I'll enjoyed it. I enjoyed weekend. it. It was like, every bit as good as Office weekend. Space. Office Space. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those more times you watch. The first time I watched it, it wasn't very entertained. We were on vacation a couple of weeks ago. My brother, I there was with was? my brother, and we were in Southern Oregon bicycle riding. Uh, we went up there for a week to go bicycle riding. It was so smoky, we rode three oh, hours. Gosh. But we watched Office Space a couple, times. a couple times. A couple times. You can't watch it a couple times. It's pretty slow. <laughs> we did watch it, though. Yeah, so this, so look, this might be a fun, this one might be a fine deal or not. Well, it's got Volvo involved, so it must be. It's safe. Well, that doesn't mean anything, by the way. Uh, when, you've, when, you've get, when you get... Uh, when all of a sudden, when they start putting celebrities all over these things, uh, these SPACs, in order to make them more exciting, more marketable, you're just like, uh, I don't know. There'll be some successes, but most of... There'll be many Colossal people... failures. Very disappointed. Colossal failures. And don't think that institutional investors don't make mistakes either. Look at all the people that oh my gosh. invested in th- Theranos. That's an interesting trial. Yeah. Think of all the the, the people that invested in. Smart. And if you read the book or watch the movie Bad Blood, excellent, excellent. If you're following Is this trial. Is there a trial. movie on that? Yeah. There's a movie called Bad Blood as well. Oh, and I the book was it. The book was fantastic. It was excellent. So- don't think that just because they're institutional investors that they can do no wrong. Just look at some of the people that invested in Theranos. Speaking of investing, Robin Hood. Well, didn't Robin Hood steal from the rich and give to the poor? In the Sherwood Forest. I have a feeling that modern-day Robin Hood is going to be a wealth transfer from young and those with little assets to those with... Lots of assets. Lots of assets. So you know what bothers me most about Robinhood? Do you want to talk about- Robinhood is an online trading company. Yes. Their whole thing is we're going to democratize investing. Slash gamify. And gamify. Big time gamify. Their whole app's designed just like a game. It's almost the same kind of tricks that um, casinos would use to get you to invest. So they don't charge commissions or fees. It's free. It's free. Yeah, trading is free. So how do they make money? They make money by directing your trade to somebody else that would be happy to make the trade for you because it gives them a chance to get ahead and they could of other trades and they can make just a little tiny bit of a share spread and the price spread. The people that execute the trade pay a rebate or a commission called deal flow. And so what happens is these firms are supposed to do best execution. Get the best possible price possible. For the person that is making the trade. And so when you make a trade, let's say I buy 100 shares of just let's go old school, Intel. <laughs> okay. The, the firm, does not every 100 shares actually gets traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Most like do you not see. get exchanged. Most. What happens are most actually are routed through what's called a broker-dealer. And a broker will actually bring it and broker it outside, but a dealer deals out of its own inventory. So I go to sell 100 shares of Intel. They're like, yeah, this 100 shares of Intel, this is a pretty small trade. I've got 1,000 shares of Intel sitting on my shelf in here. I'm just going to buy that 100 shares that Pat McLean is selling and put it on my shelf, knowing that someone else is going to buy some Intel later on in the day and yeah. that it's going to work out at the end of the day. That's the dealer side of the broker-dealer. The pricing on that stuff is really hard to determine. And that's where the little bit of spread in there Actually goes That's back where to Robin Hood. Hood. Gets a lot of their 
That and from the options. And the option trading is where they make most of their money and on little cash balances that stay in the account. What's amazing to me is that they can- They've got like 22 million um, account holders. My my, my kids trade on Robinhood all the time. They do the (laughs) meme stocks. My nephew does too. Oh, absolutely. They do options too. They do it. <laughs> we all know how this game ends. Oh, I, I, they try to talk to me about it. I'm like, okay, sounds great now. Wait. Just wait, kids. Well, wait. Options are a zero-sum game. At least if Intel does well over time, we, all, we can yeah. all benefit. They say when you're doing options, you have to be on the Reddit the whole time watching. And when they quit talking positive is when you dump. He said the tastemakers are the ones that determine the price of the stock. And they'll never actually come out and say anything. Here's my challenge with this. Robin Hood's going to college campuses, get, buying kids free cups of coffee, get them, a, get them to open an account, trying to get everyone to open an account. This is not investing. Much like credit card companies did 20 and 30 years ago. It's not ago. investing. It's speculating. That's fine. Look, I've got, we've got clients that have millions of dollars invested, and they have side accounts where they do a little speculating and they enjoy. Not unusual. People enjoy. I get it. But that, you're not going to build wealth by trading. But, but Scott, why, why the, the, the securities industry hasn't, well, actually, they're starting to come after Robinhood. They've now. had a couple big fines. Yeah, they they're have. Just like, just like the way we saw Uber ignore the rules until they just pay the fines, all these other disrupting companies, Robinhood did the same thing. They ignored all the securities rules that have been on the books for years and just went full steam ahead thinking, well, we'll build the business and just pay the fines later, which is what they did. I don't have a lot of respect. I'm got to be honest with you. I don't have a lot of respect for Robinhood. Because um, I don't think what they're doing is actually helping people. If they want to say this is just for sport, great. I don't have any problem. You want to bet on sports, why not? Great. What, do whatever you want. But to make it sound like this is investing? It's not investing. It's not investing. Anyway, we're almost out of time. Hey, wanted to let everyone know that we've got a special three-hour call-a-thon. Is it a call-a-thon? I don't know what everyone call. Call-a-thon. <laughs> it's a call-a-thon. <laughs> Pat and I, myself, are both going to be in the studio for three hours taking calls, your calls regarding your financial questions. Monday, October the 11th from 4 to 7 Pacific time. Okay? Monday, October 11th, 4 to 7 Pacific. That's 7 to 10 Eastern if you can't do the three-hour math difference yourself. And uh, to be part of the program, if you want to call, all you got to do is during that hour, call 833 999 6784 833-999-6784. Call that between those hours of 4 to 7 Pacific, October 11th. We'll take your call then. All right? Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, rest of your weekend. Glad you've been with us. This has been Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.